This is Meditations for Misfits, and I'm Fred Gruy. In this podcast, we'll explore the famous Road to Emmaus story as recorded in the 24th chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke, and we'll consider how, like the first disciples, we too might be able to recognize the risen Jesus. This particular uh, tale comes to us. There is a, a follower of Jesus named Cleopas, and Cleopas's friend, whether it was his spouse or partner or friend, we don't know, but they're heading home to Emmaus because they're disillusioned and disheartened that the movement they thought they were going to be a part of has all come crumbling down. They thought Jesus was the greatest thing since sliced bread and that they were going to get all that they had longed for and hoped for and it only uh, just dissipated before their eyes as Jesus was killed on the Friday we call good. Now, this is somewhat of a contextually hard thing for us to imagine because the truth is that you and I have really never been an oppressed people as the Jewish folks of this day were. The, the Jews were in their own land, their own town, their own place, but they were not in charge. And so they were under the supervision of Roman overlords that had full control over the banks, the government, everything. And so it's just hard for us to know what that would feel like to be in your own place, but not have freedom. I mean, I try and imagine what it would have been like if, say, for example, the Nazis would have developed the atomic bomb and dropped them on New York and Washington, D.C. And we surrendered. And that the United States would have become a a Nazi colony, as it were, and that we would have to speak German if we wanted to do anything uh, in terms of getting a driver's license or go to the bank or do any legal action. It was all being German, and we'd have to learn a new language and new customs and the fear of, of the Gestapo running around looking for people that were doing things that shouldn't have been done and stealing them away in the middle of the night. That's what it was like for these Jewish folks at this time. And their hope was that Jesus was going to be the one to rally the people and kick those stinking Italians all the way back to Rome and get them out of the country, and that we could be in charge again. That was the great hope. And it came crashing to despair on Good Friday, as Jesus was murdered before their eyes. And so they're heading back towards their homeland, and they're talking about they've heard strange rumors that Jesus wasn't still in the grave, according to some of the women, and they don't know what to make of this. And as they're on the way, it's remarkable. Jesus is with them. They don't recognize Jesus for whatever reason. And Jesus listens to their pain, to their disillusion, to their disheartenment. He, he listens to how discouraged they are. 
And I, I like to think to myself that what they thought they knew, their dreams were, and what they wanted. And while it all died, it was fertile soil for the new that might become. But they couldn't see that at this point. They were so consumed with the grief over the one they loved, death, and their dreams, and their aspirations, that they couldn't see beyond that. They couldn't recognize Jesus who was with them. And in commenting on this particular passage, Henry Nouwen has written that as Jesus was talking to them, they experienced in their hearts something new. It was as if their hearts were burning with a flame that came not from without, but from within. Jesus had kindled in them something for which they had no words, but which was so authentic and so real that it overcame their depression. Jesus didn't say, oh, it's not as bad as you think. Get over it. What he did say is that he had something entirely new. And the idea is that even the most tragic, the most painful, the most hopeless circumstances can become the way to liberation for what we long for most. This is one of the great mysteries in life that it's in the midst of suffering, in the pain, in the midst of grief, the possibility exists for something new to be birthed. It can be fertile soil for something alive and new that we never dreamed of. But it also can just make us mean and bitter and close down. And so it's a mystery. I, I, I think of the great quote of Joseph Campbell, the famous mythologist, who said that we must be willing to let go of the life we planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. And that's hard. We don't give our plans up easily. And so Cleopas and his friend are discouraged. Jesus appears to them, listens to their pain, and then somehow begins to unfold and unpack all of the various biblical texts that talk about this mystery of, of newness coming through the Messiah. And so Jesus pretends to be going further on and they implore, stay, stay, no, 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 stay with us. It's, it's night, it's late. And somehow in the breaking of the bread, their eyes are opened and they see that it's Jesus right there with them. And they get so excited, they run back to tell their friends in Jerusalem, he's not dead. He's not dead, he's alive. And so what is in them is, is brought to new life. And so as I've been contemplating this text for this week, here's what I would suggest to us this morning. That Jesus listened to their pain, and then what he gave them was a mystical experience, somehow in the breaking of the bread. And I've been reading a most wonderful book. I'm rereading it, actually. It's, it's so 
dense. You just can't. One pass through isn't good enough. It's a, a poet uh, who pretends to be a theologian. He, he seems to do both. A guy named Christian Wyman. And he's written a book called my Gre the, the Great Abyss or My White Abyss. So it, it's fabulous. And he really does blur the, the lines between what is poetry and what is prose because it's so rich you just can't skip through it. It, it, it arrests your thinking. But anyway, according to Christian Wyman, that mystical experiences offer us three basic things. They are timeless in, in terms of what could be ours feels just like moments. We just You lose concept of time when you have a mystical experience. And it's very personal. It grabs something within inside you. In, in the text, it says their hearts were burning within them. And then the other thing that a mystical experience does is it helps us connect with the transcendent or the divine, this one we call God, whatever language you want to use. You feel a connection that is profound, that these are three aspects of a mystical experience. And, and according to Wyman, you can have a mystical experience walking through the redwoods or standing at the Pacific Ocean at Cape Blanco with the wind blowing you all over the place. You could have a mystical experience seeing the symphony play to the planets and how spectacularly beautiful that was. Or uh, when you see a piece of art that just captivates you and you can't not look because it, there's so, like if you, if you see Michelangelo's La Pietà, my goodness, you, you can't look away. There's something that, that just transcends or pulls you in. Or it could happen in prayer. It could even, a mystical experience could even happen in church for crying out loud. It's been known to happen somewhere, sometime. Or sitting on a cushion, staring at the wall in meditation. There's no, no limit to where mystical experiences could happen. As Thomas Merton says, you know, the gate of heaven is everywhere. Sitting with someone you love, holding their hand, looking in their eyes. Or when a newborn baby comes forth and you are privileged to hold this life with all that lays before. Who knows where a mystical experience awaits? But as I say, they're timeless, they're personal, and they help us connect with the transcendent. Now, one of the things Wyman goes on to suggest is that mystical experiences alter our faith. And he writes that faith is not a new life. It is the old life newly seen. And I think what he's saying is those, those parts of our journey that seem like fragments where we've hurt somebody or somebody's hurt us or where we got married or not or we fell in love or didn't, where we, all these different fragments and experiences of our life that just look like they don't connect. In a mystical experience, they sort of all like come together into a, a, some understanding that's incredible. So our life is newly seen. And Wyman says the test of that sight is that it leads to connections and continuities, not to renunciations and severances. 
And he says, nothing is more poisonous both to one's own faith and to one's relationships than an over-eager urge to proselytize a too avid grasp of the truth. <laughs> so what he's saying is, when you have a mystical experience, what you don't want to do is go beat up everybody else over the head. You got to come here. You got to do this. You got to do this. This is the truth. This is because we just see in part. We just get a little glimpse. We don't know the whole truth. Which is why, for me, it is so important that we gather together. Because we all have glimpses of the truth. And it says together we, we share those glimpses that we get a fuller, more uh, rounded picture of the reality of what is. We need each other's voices. And, and I love that Wyman says that when you have a mystical experience, it leads to connections, which is why we gather here, to connect. Not to say, you can't do this and you can't do that. Look, in my, my younger days, I was a Pentecostal charismatic preacher for years, and I thought faith was you had to defend some of the great uh, doctrines that have been handed to us, like original sin, or Jesus is the only way of salvation, or you know, you pick a doctrine. And we had to defend those against people like you. <laughs> and I've come to realize, no need to defend that stuff. Faith, real faith. I've come to learn in, in my 17 years as a hospice chaplain, and now as six months as interim pastor, that faith is trusting in change. Faith is trusting. It, together, we're going to discover what God wants of us. That I don't have to come up with that answer. But it's in our togetherness. We will co-discover what God may want of us in this time and place. And just as Cleopas and his friend at Emmaus that in that struggling and that doing it together, Jesus may reveal himself right before our eyes as the risen one, as we're doing it together. I, I can't communicate to you how much I'm committed to that, to the belief that it's what we do together is to discover God's plan for us in this time and place. That's where my faith is. It's not in me, my ability to pray, my ability to read the Bible, ability to do whatever. It's in us being together, trying to figure this out. I trust we will discover the risen Jesus. So Jesus asked his companions on the road, what, what's, what's troubling you? What things are bothering you? And they had their list. And we have our own. We have our lists of the things troubling us. We could be troubled by the fact that there are so many unhoused neighbors in our community that don't have enough food or a safe place to sleep at night. Whatever the inequities of our culture are, however that happened, that's troubling to many of us. That there are so many of us that can't make ends meet and that the food bank is being raided in ways that it hasn't in years past because there's just not enough, or so we're told. 
That's troubling. It's troubling that our climate is, is going through changes that are so dramatic and drastic as to threaten the very way we exist as human beings on this planet. And that something's got to be done because this is not tenable, what we're doing to the planet. That's troubling for many of us. It's also troubling for many of us that so many of us in our community here are aging in a way that abilities are declining, whether they're memories or the ability to walk without aid or breathe without aid or eat without aid, that that's becoming more difficult. And who's going to help? And how are we going to get help for this? That is troubling for many of us. And will there be someone to help care for me when my abilities are declining? The troubling things. And so here's my faith to address these troubling things. This is what I'm suggesting. My faith is not in any kind of certainty that we have the answers. My faith is in that together, as we struggle for answers, giving given the limitations of the number of people that we are and the, the amount of money that we have and the age that we are, given those limitations, but together as we struggle for these things and as we fail and as we succeed, as we celebrate and as we, we cry, we will discover in our togetherness how to become the people that God dreams for us to be in this time and in this place. That we will live into that. That we might actually bump into and experience the risen Jesus as we knock our heads against these things together. And my other great hope and, and trust is that the same spirit that motivated Jesus, energized Jesus, guided Jesus to do what Jesus did, the Jesus things Jesus did, that that same spirit is with us. I talked about that last Sunday when Jesus breathed on his friends, that that same spirit is with us to help knock us up the side of the head when we do it wrong and to apologize to each other and love on each other when we hurt each other and to do it together. It's the togetherness where my faith is. That this isn't Fred's church or the council's church. This is God's church. And the spirit of God is the one that will lead us. This is my hope and trust. And so I'm sensing as the interim, been here six months now. We have spent a lot of time talking about the inner things that needed addressing within us in the time of transition from Christina to now and the things we need to look at. And Karen has really been so gifted and helpful in that process. But I'm sensing and I'm suggesting to us that it's time to start thinking of shifting gears and becoming more outward focused 
to address some of these things that are troubling us, to do what we can, even though we can't do it perfectly, even though we probably won't do it right the first time, doesn't matter, to start being be becoming more outward focused in making the invisible God a little visible. So I will be addressing that in the near future and as we re-energize our justice and witness team to help lead us in the projects that we can do something about, that that's important. And here's where I, I, and we have a token of hope in this so that I'm not just talking crazy talk. I know I got a little Pentecostal there, forgive me. <laughs> but last December, when we made our house available to the Ukrainian refugee family, the Tatarenkos, how much energy that brought to us and joy and actually being able to do something for somebody. I suggest that we begin to do more of that. Who knows? We may have a mystical experience in here. <laughs> Who knows? We may even bump into the risen Jesus.